The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think, feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger, or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. I'm Nicholas Gregoratis, and you're listening to the Liberation Mentor Podcast. I'm speaking to you from my home studio in Los Angeles, California. I uh, have a great show for you today. It's something that really expanded my perception and understanding of psychology, uh, and in particular, the way my mind works. You know, um, usually when I'm dating, and fuck, what a shit show dating is in your 40s, I got to say. Um, but when I'm, when I'm dating, one of the first things I ask a woman when I meet them is what lights you up? Because to me, that's just such an important question. And, uh, it's amazing how seldom they're able to answer that question. They, first of all, most of the time, don't even know what the fuck I'm talking about. And when they do, and they do get it after I've explained it to them, they don't very often don't have an answer. They just, they have to sit and think and really you know, like stretch or reach for something that, that they find lights them up. But to me, that's one of the most important questions a person can ever ask themselves is what lights, what lights you up. And this episode really brought that home to me or brought home to me the, that to me, what lights me up is learning. I love learning. I love having my mind stretched. It's one of my absolute favorite things. And that's what this particular episode like many of my episodes, but this one in particular really stretched my mind when it came to psychology. And I I know you guys are going to really love it. If you're enjoying the show, I'll ask you guys to please go and leave a review on iTunes. It really helps getting the word out there. And also if you are wanting to get some coaching in a group format, which can be very, very beneficial. Some people are better at one-to-one coaching, or some people get more out of one-to-one coaching, and some people get more out of group coaching. I do both. If you're interested in either, send me an email at nick at liberationmentor.com. That's N-I-C at liberationmentor.com. And uh, we'll see if my work is something that's suited to you and, and what you want to do with your life. Okay, guys, so let's dive into the episode with Dr. Doug Brackman. Enjoy. Hey, brothers, I'm here today with a double PhD. I don't think I've ever had the privilege of speaking with a double PhD. His name is Dr. Doug Brackman, psychologist and author of Driven, Understanding and Harnessing the Genetic Gifts Shared by Entrepreneurs, Navy SEALs, Pro Athletes, and Maybe You. Dr. Brackman or Doug, or I'm not exactly sure how to address you. It's just great to have you on the show. Yeah, you can you can call me Doug. Doug is fine. Okay, great. So uh, actually, funny enough, uh, already I'm happy to hear that because it's been my experience that the more of an honorific someone requests to be addressed with or addressed by, generally the more of a dick they are. <laughs> That's been my experience. Um, <laughs> I can I can I can clear that up really quick. The reason I have so much education is profound, deep 
insecurity <laughs> and was hoping that lots of education would get rid of it and it didn't work. I don't so. believe that for one second, not for one second. Anyway, it's it's great to have you on the on the show. So it's my understanding based on the the brief study I've done on your work that you have figured out why people that have what society generally describes as negative characteristics including ADHD and OCD are actually gifted individuals and that is a genetic throwback to the times when we were hunters. And if you can harness that, you can achieve great things. Is that pretty much the elevator pitch or is that, am I close? Pretty, pretty close. It's, um, yeah. So I, I, I wrote the book for myself because I myself am very driven and very much a hunter and have these genetics and have this really unique brain structure that, um, you know, when I started in this 30 years ago, I had this, you know, deep questioning feeling all the time that there was something missing or wrong with me. And uh, despite what most psychologists will tell you, we get into psychology to figure out our own shit. (laughs) (laughs) There's no way around it. Um, Some of us that are really into this kind of, and I I stumbled into this stuff really, you know, 1991, the, the, Time Magazine article came out that they found the alcoholism genes or the, you know, the addictive genes. And in the intervening, uh, it's been, what, 30 years now. It has been an unbelievable path for me, really just understanding what the hell, what is going on with me and most of the people that I really relate to and associate with. Yeah. So I have, I have so many questions. The first one is, you characterize people as driven, right? And and these are your are the people who have a specific gene expression that gives them a, a propensity towards hunting. Is that correct? Or or tasks that that are similar to hunting? It's the way our brain works, and so the way my brain works, and maybe your your audience will relate to this, is that we we need to understand the big picture. And you know, about twenty years ago when I was first starting down this path of really understanding why it seemed that six, seven, eight, 9% of the general population really acted and behaved differently than the other 90%. And the genetics behind this and the brain structure and the, and all of the attention, because there's big money to be made in, in psychopharmacology and, and particularly all the ADD and ADHD meds thousands of research studies have been <laughs> have been done on us trying to figure mm-hmm. out what's wrong with us and how to fix us and i rebelled against that because there must have been a good reason that 10% of the population can't tolerate sitting in a classroom can't tolerate a w2 job can't tolerate for the most part what society has evolved into mm-hmm. And so that sent me down a path. It sent me down a very simple path of um, really just exploring, you know, what are the differences? And I came across a guy that, a guy named Tom Hartman was the first to coin this. And it was in mid-90s. And he basically said that the human genome evolved since the time of the agricultural revolution over the last 4,000 years. And to paraphrase it, basically 90% of the human population turned into tolerant of incredibly lazy, boring world. And there's about (laughs) 10% of us that don't. We can't tolerate basic, basic, basic 
you know, skill sets that are required to survive in this world. You know, mm. it's just never enough for us. Mm. That's so interesting uh, because my, my next question, which you just answered, was going to be if if 10% of us have this hunter gene, then what are the other 90%? Are we gatherers? Are we farmers? Are we? What, if, you, if you go from cultural anthropology, so 4,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, the agricultural revolution began. And if you think about what it takes to survive in a, in a pre-agricultural world versus a post-agricultural world, you, you had to adapt, you know, 90% of the population adapted basically to sit around and watch shit grow. And very, very paced, very, very rote routine practices allowed them to feel like they could survive in the world. Sure. And it, it is a very specific part of the brain. You know, it's called the frontal lobe, left prefrontal lobe specifically. And you put most people in a functional MRI, 90 plus percent of people in a functional MRI, they have this nice, bright, shining ball of activity in the, in the middle front of their heads. And it's the executive function. And so it's a logical, linear way to go through the world that if you, you know, you put your finger in the ground, you put some corn in it, you cover it up, you water it, and then you patiently wait <laughs> for months and you, you have a harvest. And as long as you save appropriate, you know, levels of grain for next year, and as long as you do what you did last year, you will survive and your world will be safe. Where, you know, as a, as a hunter, those skills are, are deadly. You know, if we sat around sitting in a cave feeling like everything was okay all the time, we would never go out and explore. We would never go out and look for better hunting ground or anything else. And so it logically makes sense. And the last 10 years of putting people in a functional MRI, you know, I've done it with Navy SEALs and done it with entrepreneurs and ADD, the, the ADD people, you know, like me. What happens is, is you see a nice, bright, shining ball of energy in the back of our heads. And the defining feature of ADD, ADHD, is this thing called hypofrontality, where the, un, you know, the, the frontal lobe of our head doesn't seem to be lighting up the same way as everybody else. And, huh, isn't that interesting? But it makes complete sense that a hunter would re, you know, the back of our heads is called the occipital lobe where it's, it's the part of our brain that's, a, that's really keyed into eyesight. You know, and most of your audience being martial artists and the co-author of my book, Randy, is a, well, he's fifth degree Bujangan, which is a Japanese martial arts. And we are just amazingly skilled at using our eyesight to really experience the world firsthand much better than anyone else. And we see and act first and then think afterwards. And that is the essential difference between us and the 90% of the population that think first and then act second. And sure. it, it is a tr tremendous gift <laughs> for the most part, but the impulsivity, you know, as I say in my book, it just, it creates phenomenal stories about the impulsive crazy crap we have done as a, as a bunch of hunters, as a bunch of ADD people. Yeah, well, it's, uh, I have so many questions yet again. The first is, now, I have a very limited understanding of evolutionary biology and neuroscience, but you say it's 4,000 years ago that was the advent of agriculture. 
And from what I remember, I may be wrong, doesn't it take far longer than 4,000 years for evolution to, uh, or evolutionary impulses to, to express it within the organism? Well, that is a great question. And this is an ever-evolving field called epigenetics. And the epigenetics, you know, is it nature versus nurture? Is it the really, you know, kind of the way I'm wired or is it my environment? is no longer even asked in in most scientific circles anymore because we are an adaptive species. And so, yes, you know, that it takes a long time for the genotype and the phenotype to actually, you know, the genotype to really change, but the expression of our genes. And that was Tom Hartman's thing. Like, why would it be so resilient in the human species that these genes for us, and I'll call us driven, that we're waiting for the next ice age. We're waiting for the next catastrophe to happen. (laughs) (laughs) We are the ones, and we are the ones that will actually survive the calamity. And, you know, a lot of my... I can believe it. Yeah, because it's almost exciting. (laughs) I mean, it's, you know, bring it, because we'll figure it out. So I had a, a guest on recently. In fact, he wasn't a guest. I was a guest on his show and we were discussing impulse control, you know, and I was saying, if you look at, if you take life, a a human experience as a spectrum, right? And on one spectrum, you think of the worst place you can be in life, which is probably jail, like incarcerated. And on the other end of the spectrum is the best place you can be, which is successful and part of a community and happy and healthy, right? Like on the thing that usually takes you to the the one side, the negative side is a lack of impulse control. That's one thing pretty much every murderer and rapist and arsonist and armed robber has in common. They lack impulse control. And one of the things that pretty much every hyper successful person has in common is they have, they either have an innate or created skill of impulse control. So is part of your work helping people who have this, this hunter slash driven epigenetic expression is part of your work to get them to get a handle in the impulse control or, or, or not. You'll appreciate this. And that, and Randy Kelly, the guy, Navy SEAL that helped me with my book, he and I, he was a, he was a Navy SEAL sniper in Ramadi. And I mean, he was with Chris Kyle. I mean, he really, you know, saw the stuff, but it is this ability to manage impulse is the gift of being driven. And, you know, every driven person I work with, you know, our our fantasy is to be free of the external structures that put, you know, limits on our impulse control. And yet, if we don't learn to manage our impulses, our lives are crap. That's fascinating. That is absolutely (laughs) mind-blowing, yeah. But it is, you know, most of your drivens will attest to this this capacity to do something called hyper-focus. And, you know, as a martial artist, I did Aikido for years. You, you are embedding and hardwiring these forms or practices into your body. And so literally, you're no longer having to manage your impulses to do something different. Your body knows how to do it. Mm-hmm. And so it's that when you say impulse control, and this goes to the core of my work about who's really in charge of us. And is it your monkey mind? Is it this thing up on top of your head, you know, or your neocortex, this monkey mind that is the way I teach it is that it's, you know, very much like a a monkey's, 
trying to control this animal elephant below the nose. And we have two operating systems and these two operating systems, you know, often are at combating each other, (laughs) meaning that, and that was my doctoral work about why, why January sucks at the gym. And because everybody seems to be overriding the impulses of being, you know, lazy and not wanting to do something that's challenging. But what happens by February, you know, that's my last research on this, by February 14th, 78% of people don't even remember their New Year's resolutions. So they, they seem to have gone back to sleep, meaning that they're not even aware of their impulses to go to the gym any longer. Hmm. And so it is this, you know, deeper question, and it takes me into, you know, my deep meditation practice. It's these deep control of impulses. And, you know, am I overriding my impulse? Am I noticing my impulse? Am I actually being with my impulse? And if you're, you know, able to actually the, the latter where you can really be with your body or embody these things, it's no longer even a question of impulse. So basically what you're saying is you need to create a separation between yourself and the impulse. And then that gives you the, I always speak about the window of, of, of power, which is the space between your, between a stimulus and your response. That's therein lies your power. And what you're saying is you have to get to the point where, you know, you can see and feel these impulses. Yeah. And And the classic question that the Buddha posed was, you know, he always said that, you know, he observed human beings very much like an Indian elephant being trained by a rider on top. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, it seems that the rider has wonderful control of the elephant. But, you know, you put the elephant under, you bring a, a female elephant around that's in heat, you're going for a ride. There's nothing you can do to stop the elephant. Mm-hmm. And it is that, you know, all plans are great made in your head until you get punched in the face. (laughs) (laughs) And then then your body, the elephant seems to take over. And the classic question is, you know, who are you? Where is Nick? Are Are you the monkey mind or are you this elephant? And what was the answer that you found? (laughs) it's a trick answer it's a trick question but the answer is is you are obviously both and neither and it's Mm. that third element of neither where you can observe you know the monkey mind chattering away and you got cheerleaders and gorillas and all kinds of different monkeys up on top trying to convince the elephant to do one thing or another Mm -hmm. but then you have this impulsive elephant that is seemingly having a mind of its own and as long as your central nervous system and i present that concept deep concept in my book around bandwidth that our bandwidth is in the elephant that you know if i've meditated today and i've had a good workout at the gym and i've made a little money and you know i'm pulling in and that everything is wonderful (laughs) it, it is not a problem to manage my impulses but if I haven't worked out, I slept like crap and I'm hungry and I walk in the house and the house is a mess and the kids are fighting, the elephant takes over and all of a sudden I'm, I've lost it. Sure. That's so interesting you bring this up because one of my, um, one of my clients said that's, that was one of the things he was struggling with, uh, that he's, when he finds himself exhausted, he becomes increasingly short and his willpower tapers off and it just a bunch of negative 
that there's a bunch of negative outcomes. And my response to him was, I gave him the advice that uh, we created the strategy that I use, which is to just, when that happens, I just sleep. It's the only thing I can do. <laughs> Even if it's for 20 minutes, like sleep kind of resets all of that for me. Well, what's been your experience with that? So this is what, you know, in all my, all my interreading years as a psychologist, you know, what we're really going for is a stable and resilient central nervous system. Mm-hmm. And as the Navy SEALs all, always say, sleep is a weapon. And meaning wow, that I've never heard that. well slept, yeah, it is a weapon. And meaning, yeah, because it resets a lot of what we're going through. But meditation in particular, and the style of meditation that I do is, is very Zen-based, very, it's eyes open, particularly if you're driven. And you have occipital dominance. We use our eyeballs to go through the world. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes, you know, most meditations have been created by the farmers for the farmers and not wow. for the drivens. And if you find, you know, this particular sect of Zen that I'm really strong into is called Rinzai Ji, which is, you know, a different sect than Soto. Interestingly, in Japan, 90% of the population follows Soto Zen and it, it grew out of the rice farmers and it's mm. slow and it's methodical and, and, where Rinzai is, is the ninjas and the samurai and the warrior class, where it's much more directed and much more active in its style of, of teaching meditation practices. But the core of it is eyes, eyeballs open. Interesting. And being able to actually meet whatever sensations you're having in your body with curiosity to see if they actually match your reality. And that is, that is a core part of this, this teaching that I do because most meditations, most of the time, you know, you're closing your eyes and you're trying to actually attend to some magical picture in your mind of, you know, a peaceful garden or whatever. What use is that <laughs> when you're fighting with your wife, you're not going to close your eyes and try to, so it is really this this curiosity around, you know, is what's happening in my central nervous system an actual accurate reflection of my reality around you? And that practice alone will reset your central nervous system faster than anything else. Mm, and it, that's it very feeds off this, yeah, It feeds off the truth that, you know, the present moment is the only place that is safe. And I've worked yeah. with so many Navy SEALs and they, they, you know, can't understand why they have, they can't relax. And it is a very simple truth that they're not wired to relax and they're trying to relax. And if you don't try to relax, you just try to become present. A byproduct of that is relaxation and Mm. very rapid reset of your central nervous system. Yeah. That's again, so many things come up. So many things jump out of me. I'm, I'm working with a very particular protocol at the moment for retraining the nervous system. And one of the things that I have to do after each exercise is circle my eyes in a full 360, or not 360, yeah, 306 degrees, like trace my eyes along an imaginary clock face from 12 to six back yep. up to 12. Yeah, Because the theory is that retrains the, or resets the, the CNS, which I find fascinating. So I have a, a question for you, um, Dr. Doug, which is um, would anti-authoritarian tendencies be a hallmark of a driven 
yes. <laughs> That's my joke about I myself personally, I, I am unemployable. Me too. <laughs> it's very simply stated. That, I mean, it, it's, we, are, we are made for multi-thinking problem solving. And you have you have someone who is not as gifted as at problem solving telling us what to do, we will very quickly come up with a better way, faster way to do it. Sure. And if you force me into your box, I feel trapped. And it is a reflex for me as a driven person to not tolerate that. And yes, so anti-authoritarian <laughs> kind of beliefs. And it, it's very much so. That's this is fascinating to me. I, I really had no idea of this very niche field of study in, in which you're an expert, and it's it's blowing my mind. Um, what what other so the traits that you've said that these people who have fallen under this driven categorization have are they 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 have the ability to hyper focus. So hyper focus is one. Oftentimes we are very intuitive, mm-hmm. and intuition is a external sense that there's something we can't see with our eyeballs or hear with our ears or use our senses to actually register, but it's a felt sense in our body that there's something, something going on. And if you think about a, a hunter, you know, we have to know where the other herd member or pack members are that are in our hunting party. And so Mm -hmm. we're wildly intuitive at reading circumstance and situation. We multi-think, and multi-thinking is a, the typical farmer, three to five things in their head is kind of what they can manage. The driven's at seven to 12. Wow. And so we are, we are big picture thinkers because of that. We really try to understand the big picture. And then we have the magical gift of actually understanding the big picture. And when a new piece of information is given to us, we can rapidly put it into place in the, in the current information that we already have. Mm. So we're wildly okay. creative. We, by nature, are risk takers. <laughs> Every driven person I've ever worked with says, I'm not a risk taker. Because I think about everything I do long before I do it. But you look at from the outside in, we are risk-taking crazies. Sure. Yeah. Just I, from the inside uh, out, I it feel like I'm a risk taker because I think about everything I do, but compared to others, I am very, very, I am not risk adverse as they say. Sure. Well, I mean, I guess if you just think about it in the animal kingdom, every, every, uh, explosive, you know, like attack on, on the wildebeest or whatever, like that is, is a risk, not only that you'll get injured, but it's the expenditure of energy. If you don't get the animal, it comes at a cost. You and pay that, a heavy price. that triggers the next resilience. And this is this is what can often get a lot of driven in tremendous amount of trouble is this thing called neuropeptide Y. Neuropeptide Y is this, it is actually the best predictor for making it through buds, making it through Navy SEAL six months training. Wow. What it is, it's the, it's a resilient reset neurochemical. And so if you think about a hunter, and they're chasing a rabbit, and the rabbit gets away. We get a flash of disappointment. But if we see another rabbit, we immediately reset our central nervous system and chase the new rabbit. So it's, oh, crap, ooh, rabbit. And you, <laughs> and so it is this 9,999 different ways to not make a light bulb. 
and you know Edison was classic driven is that he knew in his gut he knew in his intuitive sense that I can make this work but he kept trying and trying and trying and trying and it's 9999 different ways to not make a light bulb and so we are famous and how that obviously gets us in trouble is that we can reset very quickly from disappointment or failure and move on to the next and oftentimes we don't learn from our mistakes fascinating i i mean i had no idea that just the idea of a specific peptide that is correlated with resilience is absolutely mind blowing so you you've made it sound like being a driven is you know like winning the lottery ticket of life but it's there's got to be some negative you mentioned two <laughs> which is impulse potential impulsivity and the inability to relax what are the curses of um, also, I guess being unemployable is some people might consider that a, a negative. What, what other like flaws and, and weaknesses? So it is simply said that probably two thirds of us are completely whacked out in our addictions, whether it's drugs, oh. alcohol, sex, gambling, work, exercise. You know, we we are prone to hyper-focus on one, one area of our life and really seek mastery in it and just to the detriment of every other area of our life. Hmm. And, you know, that's my, as I say, you know, 75% of us are completely whacked in our addictions. The other 25% of us own probably 90% of the crap in the world. I mean, we are hyper-successful. And, you know, the biggest problem with all of that is this internal world, the internal world of the driven. And I could have called my book, you know, the shame-based personality type, which means very simply that, you know, we're wired for feeling like there's always something missing or wrong. And it's, you know, as the farmers call us, you know, we have reward deficiency syndrome. No matter what we do, we always feel like we could have done it better. Mm -hmm. And if we make an identity out of that, and that's really the curse of being driven is that, you know, we can have this very strong sense that there's something really missing or wrong with me. And it is uh, the core of the imposter syndrome and feeling like a phony. What's your solution to that particular affliction? That, uh, <laughs> the imposter syndrome? I mean, I know, I guess it's probably not just a, an answer you can throw out in, in, in a minute. But very simple, very simple. And I do it in my book. So very simply... Most people pontificate for hours and the trip is the, the fastest road to hell is questioning who am I? <laughs> <laughs> it is an unanswerable, miserable question. And farmers, and this is the biggest difference in identity between farmers and hunters. Farmers have this real nice, logical, linear, simple identity. You know, they're butchers, they're bakers, they're candlestick makers, they're they're designed for a very small niche in their little society and their little world where we are da Vinci's. We are good at all kinds of things. And because of that, because of our hypofrontal lobe, we have a very diffuse identity. We really don't know who we are. And the solution to that is to drop that entire question of who and answer it with what, what am I? What I am is a monkey. What I am is something called a homo sapien. I am an animal, period, full stop. 
And, you know, coming out of the Zen practice is, you know, what I am then, if I'm doing nothing, if I'm sitting in meditation, I am nothing. If I'm teaching, I'm a teacher. And I throw myself completely at being the best teacher I can in this present moment. Do I know I'm the best teacher in the world? No. But that's the cornerstone of what a good teacher is, is they're always trying to be a better teacher. So the answer is very simple. I mean, it, it is a very simple, but very deep. So you, you drop the who and you answer it with a what. And that what I am is a unarguable, what I am is an animal, what I am is driven. And that creates opportunity and, you know, some challenges. And what I am in this present moment is safe. And that's the last kind of chunk of that. And so from there, it's going to be you're going to get some, you're going to get some pushback from me over here. Cause I, first of all, I'm fascinated by pretty much everything you've set up to this point. It's truly illuminating and thought provoking, but um, my personal perspective is that labeling myself or anyone else is simply an animal is, I think we are animals for sure but that isn't the full extent of it. I think we, we have spirits as well that inhabit the, the animal suits that we are wearing. And um, through my work with psychedelics and meditation and a lot of other things, I've gone beyond the spirit, the, uh, sorry, beyond the flesh. And I've gone into the realm of spirit and seen a very clear disconnect between this thing, this flesh suit with arms and legs and feet and eyes and a central nervous system and a deeper part of me, which isn't, uh, it was not even beholden to that in certain circumstances. What, what are your thoughts on that? I'll say it this way. 5-MeO-DMT will absolutely open your eyes up to your understanding of, of what spirit is. And spirit very simply means that which we cannot see. And a collective unconscious is the way I, I understand it. And that's been my experience with the psychedelic world is that there is a collective unconscious that we are all connected to in a way that we can't see. And at the same time, we are a meat suit. Sure. And, and I, I mean, that's, that's pretty much my, my perspective. It's just for me, like, if I, if I were to say to myself, I'm an animal and that's it, right? Like, and draw, that line, draw a line under it. Having been in situations where I've been outside my body looking at the suit, and realizing, wait, I'm not that thing over there, and I'm still been conscious. That to me immediately calls into question that definitive statement that that is it. You're an animal. And this is why I like. And I, I when I started in this in the spiritual realm, I started in basic meditation, and a lot of it is transcendental meditation or or Hindu based, mm -hmm. where you're trying to transcend this limited experience, and Mahayana Buddhism versus Theravada. Mahayana believes very simply that <laughs> first and foremost, we are an animal. And once you can fully accept you're an animal and that you're here and truly here, then you can start to explore there. Mm -hmm. but most people are chasing there without ever being here. <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's okay. Now, yeah, yeah, I'm start, yeah, I get it. Okay. Okay, cool. We we're back on, on the same track. Wow. Um, so I am, yeah, we need, we need to spend, I need to spend some time with you. Where are you? Yeah. Yeah, this, this is. 
yeah, we'll get that five MEO DMT ready and we'll, uh, we'll have a deeper conversation, my man. Um, so I have a couple more questions. The first is, so your work seems to revolve around these two specific categories, hunters and farmers. Are, are there any other categories you've identified? Well, it's what I've done in the last year, year and a half since the launching of the book. And, and I've created a very scientifically based 50 question um, assessment about what does it mean to be driven and what I am finding is opening my eyes to how much variance is within just what what people call driven and so every human being as I always say there's eight billion central nervous systems on this planet we're all we're all completely unique but the categorical kind of similarities particularly around the way our brain works seem to be uniting us, you know, primarily around the big picture thinking and, and the reward, the reward system, but sure. our intu- intuition varies Are you know, and I, in all my business consulting work, I do work with, you know, the bridge in between the farming organization and the typically driven entrepreneurial leadership. And that I call a shepherd, somebody who can actually speak both. <laughs> wow. Um, wow. Yeah, that's they're, they're harder to find. And, if, and I, I'm trying to create an assessment to find them because once we can find them, they're gold. Wow. That's, that is mind blowing to me because you know, throughout the course of this conversation, my mind was just working in this dialectic, right? I think, I don't know if that's the correct word, but these basic two diametrically opposed groups and I was just classifying everyone I knew into which group I was thinking, which, which, which group am I, am I in? I was looking at all my past behavior. And then as soon as you add that third, I realized that it was just a false dichotomy, right? Yeah. There's, there's, some, there's something more to it. That's fascinating. Dr. Doug, this is one of those conversations that I could just have indefinitely, but I, I'm going to have to end it there. I definitely want to have you on the show again in the future when I can... Um, bring some better questions because it's clear that that your work has a depth that needs to be explored and that my listeners will, will greatly appreciate. If um, the audience wants to read your book or find out more about you, where's the best place they should go to? Iamdriven.com. That's the kind of landing page for everything. You can get free three chapters of my book and a good chunk of the audio down download for free and Great. you can take an assessment there. And I am loving to get people to do the assessment. You know, and Great. It's- cool. Well, I'm sure a lot of the guys, a lot of the listeners are going to go do it. I know I'm going to go do it. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Doug. I truly appreciate you. Uh, thanks, Nick, for having me. Anytime. Let me know when. So I generally try to resist labeling myself or others when I, when I can catch myself doing it. Because I find that when you label someone you or yourself, you automatically limit or place a limitation on that person or yourself. And this idea of thinking of people as hunters or farmers, I started to catch myself, like thinking of myself, oh, I'm a hunter, I'm a hunter, or that guy's a farmer, or this guy's a hunter. And (laughs) I realized that that's overly simplistic. However, I think there's definitely something to um, Dr. Brackman's theory. There's, There's some truth in it. It would explain a lot. And I think it's, there's more to it. I think you could probably, there's probably more classifications. My friend and and mentor Rocco, when I told him about this, I gave him an early access um, episode of the show before I released it. And he said, yeah, it's interesting. But he said, I'm not a hunter or a 
a farmer, I'm a civilizer, which I thought was fascinating, just the way his mind works and how he took it to that place. And I mean, I'm not going to get into what that means when he, when he says he's a civilizer, but just this idea that we aren't, that, that we're all, we all have this different set of skills and affinities and abilities is, it's cool. It's like we're, we're all different types of X-Men mutations, right? Either way, that episode really made me think, really lit me up. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, I'll be back in a week or two with another episode. Until next time, keep the faith. Keep the faith.